Welcome to the Sunday morning podcast from Kingdom Faith Church in Worthing. This message is by Colin Urquhart. Well, it's good to be with you again. Now, a very simple question to begin with. If you were asked to define what a good father is like, what would you say? Presumably that he loved his children and that his love for them was so great, sufficient, trustworthy that the children would respond to that love, would want to be close to the Father because of that love. They would be sure of his affection, of his concern for their welfare. Um, They would appreciate that a good father spoils them sometimes, but not too much. Uh, And that a good father would discipline his children, not um, in an overhand way, but when necessary. But he would be merciful, understanding his children, realizing the pressures that they can be under, often from other people. Uh, So a good father wouldn't judge his children or condemn his children if they didn't measure up to his standards because good father obviously would have desire that his children would uh, live the kind of lifestyle that was pleasing to him. He would want his children to have good relationships with others and he would do whatever he could to facilitate that so that um, they had good caring support from other people as well as himself. Uh, A good loving father would provide for his children even sacrificially provide for them um, so that they could have the best. You often hear parents say, I want the best for my children, so a good father would want the best for his children. And so on. We could probably (coughs) say a lot of other things that he would be gentle and yet strong. He would know when to exercise authority 
so that uh, they did, didn't come to any harm. He would watch over them and protect them. He would be very protective of them, especially if they were under any attack from other children or other people. Of course, as Christians, we would also expect a good father to pray for his children, to intercede for them, to see that they were brought up in the fear of the Lord, you know, to be in awe of God and to honor him and so on. I think that would be a good father. That's the kind of father I think most Christian fathers would aspire to be, um, despite all their human frailties and weaknesses. And of course, you can always tell how good a father is from the children, because a father will reproduce himself in his children. So if you, if you look at children and see the relationship they have with their father, then that says all you need to know about the father. Now, I've just been talking at the human level. But you see, Jesus came to reveal his father to us. And John, in chapter 3 of his epistle, says, See what great love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. So, I've described what I think we would all agree would be a good father at the natural level. Well. God is all that and a lot more. All those qualities, even interceding, has his son interceding for us continually in heaven. All those things, God is to you. And a lot more. Uh, just now, it was announced that United are looking at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel in the lion's den. We could add to that Moses going through the Red Sea, uh, David and Goliath. Who knows that those stories were not put in the Bible for children? They're nice, dramatic, pictorial uh, events. They're not stories. There were events that took place. And of course they are for all God's children, not just for little children. But I wonder how many adult children believe them. Or believe <coughs> that their father is like that. It was their father that shut the mouths of the lion when Daniel was in the den. It was their father who 
made sure that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not get burnt up in the fiery furnace. It was God the Father that parted the Red Sea so that all the children of Israel could pass over. It was God the Father who had anointed Daniel and enabled him to slay the giant. So you could go on. It was God the Father who provided the manna in the wilderness for 40 years for the children of Israel, even though they had grieved him and been disobedient and had not entered into the promised land. So, you can tell what our Father is like, our Heavenly Father, by the things that He does. Just as you can tell an earthly father by the things that He does. The thing about our Heavenly Father is He's got millions or even billions of children. So, uh, I mean, He is the Father par excellence. Eh? And of course, our Heavenly Father is unlike any earthly father. I had a good earthly father, even though he wasn't a Christian when I was um, a young boy. He didn't become a believer until later in his life. But uh, no matter how good our father is at a human level, he cannot measure up to our heavenly father. Our heavenly father is always just, and I think an earthly father seeks to be just, but sometimes gets it wrong, right? Because we're all fallible. Uh, but our Heavenly Father is always right. He's always pure in all his motives and intentions as to what he does. He is almighty, which certainly no human father is. Nothing is impossible for him. So I'm describing your father. Now, what Jesus did in becoming man and teaching us about the kingdom of God and the fatherhood of God, and then dying on the cross to make it possible for us to have relationship with him, what we, what we understand is that we share the same Father as the Son of God. He made it possible for us to have a relationship with Him. And what He was teaching His disciples was how to relate to God in the same way that He did while He was here on earth. So, his earthly life is an example to us. But we have to be careful here because just trying to follow the example of Jesus in our own strength doesn't work. But what God has done is to put his spirit within us to enable us to know and relate to the Father and even to live at one with him. Now, let's just consider for a few minutes 
how he has made this possible. I think God has, has done for believers far more than they really appreciate. We know that God created man in his own image. That means God wanted mankind to be like him. And so we see in the story of Adam and Eve, however you want to understand that, what it teaches us is that man was created to live in fellowship with God. And so God walked with him in the garden paradise here on earth. And uh, that was wonderful because he even gave dominion to man because he walked in fellowship with him, gave him dominion over the creation that he had brought into being. He could rule and reign in, in creation because of his unity of love with the Father. But then we know everything went wrong. And it went wrong simply by taking a bite out of a piece of fruit. Now, that doesn't seem to be an exceedingly serious matter, except that in this garden paradise, man was given everything by God. Everything was available to him, everything that God had created. There was just one command he gave that they were not to do. Just one. I mean, they had absolutely everything. And there was just this one little thing they were not to do. They were not to eat of the tree that was in the middle of the garden. Now, Satan, of course, had existed first of all as Lucifer in heaven and he had rebelled against the authority of God in heaven. So he and those who followed him in his rebellion were thrown out of heaven immediately and Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. There can't be anything unholy in heaven. That's why the scripture says without holiness no one will see the Lord. So uh, only holy people can go to heaven. We'll come to that in a moment. Nobody unholy can get into heaven. So, uh, along comes the devil and seduces Eve to eat of that one fruit. She does so she has been deceived. We don't talk about the sin of Eve, we talk about the sin of Adam. Because Eve was deceived, but then she goes to Adam and offers him the fruit. Now it was to Adam that God had given the command not to eat of that tree. 
And Adam had, could obviously see a change had happened in Eve. So he wasn't making a decision out of deception. He was making a decision out of choice. The choice was Eve or God. Really, it was a... It was a a choice of did he want Eve more than he wanted this fellowship with God. He made the wrong decision and chose the woman. Few people have followed him in making that wrong decision over the years, choosing the wrong woman at the wrong time. But anyway, that's what... That's... Come on now. You, you live in the world, don't you? It's happening all about us. It's called entertainment on the television. And to God it isn't entertainment at all, it's sin. Now, Adam made the wrong choice. Immediately, he lost fellowship with God. Immediately, the God who created him to live in fellowship with him now became distant. He no longer walked with him in the garden. And in fact, as we know, God's judgment upon Adam and Eve was that because of their sin they would be cast out of the garden and barred from having entrance not only to the tree of good and evil, but to the tree of life that was in the garden. So they were effectively cut off from the life of God. They still had their human life, but they didn't have that fellowship with the divine life, with the life of God himself. Now, of course, every successive generation shared in that sinful um, attitude, that sinful disposition, that sinful nature that now Adam had. So Jesus obviously, or, or sorry, God the Father obviously wanted to restore man to fellowship with him. You see, all the way through the Old Testament, Nobody had fellowship with God in the way that he intended. They could experience God. They could have encounter with God, like people like Moses, uh, Moses and Isaiah and Jeremiah, these great prophetic figures. They certainly encountered, but they couldn't have the fellowship with God that he had intended for mankind. So God knew that the only way to resolve this problem would be for him to send his own son, himself to become man, in his own son. And therefore to show in his son how a son or a child is to relate to the Heavenly Father. 
So we see in Scripture that Jesus came as the second Adam. Now, he had a human nature just like you and I. The Scripture says he was as weak as we are. And he was tempted in every way just as we are. But he lived the exemplary life of the perfect son. He honored his father. He never did anything without his father. He never did anything in opposition to the will of his father. He was the perfect child. He had to be the perfect child, otherwise he could not have been the means of the salvation of all those who had sinned. Now, we all know this because this is, these are the basic truths of our, of our salvation, of our faith as Christians. But what we see in, in the life of Jesus is how he lived in total dependence upon his Father. And how his, his intention, his desire all the time was to glorify the Father and never to glorify himself. It's very interesting, you see. The scripture says he emptied himself of his divine glory when he became man. He counted himself nothing and took the form of a servant. Serving his Father and therefore serving the people to whom the Father had sent him. Are you all breathing still? Okay. So, Jesus lived at one with the Father. And he could say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father and I are one. In other words, we share the same nature. As the Father is perfect, so the Son is perfect. We think of the miracles of Jesus, the healings of Jesus, but really to Jesus, they were the works of the Father through the Son. Because Jesus said, I can do nothing myself. So he saw this as the work of the Father. In other words, he knew that if a child of God lived in dependence upon God, those kind of things were possible in the child's life. And this is why he said to the disciples at the Last Supper, anyone who has faith in me will do the same things as I've been doing. Well, if they love the Father like I love the Father, if they live in dependence on the Father like I live in dependence on the Father, if they trust the Father like I trust the Father, they'll do the same things as I've done, and even greater things, because the Holy Spirit will be poured out upon all God's people. So what Jesus did through his cross and the forgiveness that he made possible so that we could be totally acceptable in God's sight, he could restore us to that innocence that Adam had when he was first created. Restored us to the fellowship that we could have with God so that we, he could walk with us in our lives through every day. And that's how a lot of Christians 
understand uh, the way that God fulfilled his purpose in Jesus, to restore us to that relationship that God had with Adam. But actually, that would be to deny half of the gospel because Jesus accomplished much more than that. Why was Jesus before he became man? Well, he was in heaven, wasn't he? He was the word that went forth out of God's mouth to bring all creation into being. So, the word goes forth, creation came into being, even in Jesus when he was on earth, the word goes forth, people are healed, delivered from demons, raised from the dead, simply by him speaking, the word going forth, because he is the word of God. So we see all this uh, in the life of Jesus. He lived in fellowship with the Father. He wanted his disciples to be in fellowship with the Father. But then... After he had made all that possible through the cross, he was raised to new life, heavenly life. Now, here's a question. Did Adam have that life? He had human life. He lived in fellowship with the Father, but did he have the equivalent of the risen life of Jesus Christ? Let's go a step further. Because after the 40 days of resurrection appearances, Jesus returned to heaven. And as we read the book of Revelation and what goes on in heaven, we know that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God in heaven. What does that man mean? A man is now in heaven. Now, Jesus was never a man in heaven before he was born upon the earth. He was simply the Word. But now there is a man seated in glory, a man who fulfilled the will and the purpose of God perfectly. Are you at the same meeting that I'm at here? Okay, just stay with me. Now, what the Scriptures teach us is that when he went to the cross, he crucified all sinners with him. The whole of sinful humanity was put to death in Christ. So, if one man has died, all mankind has died, the Scripture says. So all mankind died in some sense when Jesus died. Then, the Scripture also teaches us that all those who believe in Jesus and what he did for us on the cross and believe that he is the Son of God share in that risen life. Yes. 
And then the scriptures go further that because all believers are in Christ, crucified and risen from the dead, they are also in Christ, glorified in heaven. So the scripture says that God sees us already seated with him in glory. Now you see, Adam had no access to heaven. God walked with him in the paradise on earth, but he had no access to heaven. So what God has done for us in Jesus is far greater than simply restoring us to the kind of relationship that Adam had. Now we can have fellowship with God on the earth, but we will reign with him in the glory of heaven for all eternity, where Satan can never tempt us. Satan can never ever divide us for all eternity from the love of our Heavenly Father. Now, listen to this. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons, or if you like, children of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. You've got the same spirit of sonship that was in Jesus. Amen? So, You have received the spirit of sonship, and by him, by that spirit of sonship, we cry, Abba, Father. And how did Jesus teach us to pray? Father. When you pray, say, Father, or our Father in heaven. Now, if we are, are you listening? Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Adam didn't have that. Adam didn't have the risen, glorified life of Christ in him. He had fellowship with God, but he didn't have the life of God in him. Or he could never have been separated from God by his sin. You see, you have the life of God in you now as a believer, but if you sin, you're not separated from God. Because you're not like Adam, you're like Christ. Are you still listening? Okay. So now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We have the same inheritance as Christ. Do 
This is the Word of God. Yes, right? This has been in your Bible ever since you bought it. That's, that's in Romans chapter 8. Okay, so we are co-heirs with Christ. Now, you are an heir of something, but you can't inherit until after death. Is that right? Well, Jesus has died, so everything that was in Jesus is now released to all those who are heirs. But what the scripture says is the heirs also have to die to inherit. But not die physically, but to recognize they died with Christ. Crucified with Christ. So Paul, even though he was an enemy of Jesus at the time of the crucifixion, he said, I have been crucified with Christ, I no longer live. And because I no longer live, I can now inherit the risen, glorified, ascended life of Jesus Christ. That, listen to me, that life is my life Everything that Jesus is and has belongs to every child of God now. The Father provided perfectly for His Son, so the Father has provided perfectly for all his children. So the scripture says he has. I, I, I'd like to amend the, the confession of faith because it's said in a couple of times, we will be generous, for example. No, we are generous. Will be as in the future, but are as in the present. And there's something, there was something else about, about we will inherit. But wait a minute, we are already. You know, it's now. It's not in the future, it's now. Oh, we will, know, we will know the full blessing of heaven in the future. But after we faithfully serve the Lord here on earth. Mm-hmm. He's called us to be... Faithful servants, Amen. you know, so that on the day of judgment, when we come before the Lord, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. But by faith, the scripture says, by faith, we, inshare, we share in that inheritance now. Okay, now, what is that inheritance? Everything that the Father is and has. The perfect Father. Everything that the perfect Father is and has. You can see what kind of a father I have been through my children. My children all know and love the Lord, serve the Lord. They love me and I love them. And we live in good relationship and harmony with one another. I don't have to talk about 
my fatherhood, all I can say is, look at the children. See? Now, the Father wants to, the Heavenly Father wants to be able to do the same. What, what, what He wants the world to see is His fatherhood in His children. So, the more, the more we download, if you like, into our lives that inheritance that we have in Christ, the more like Christ we become. Therefore, we become children who reflect more and more the nature of the Father. You see, what, what John says, uh, you know, we, we quoted from him, didn't we, uh, right at the beginning? See how great the love of the Father is, that he's made us the children of God, and that's what we are. Well, earlier he says, our fellowship, our fellowship, it's not like Adam. Our fellowship is with the Father and the Son. Fellowship means you share the life. But if our fellowship is with the Son, then the only way we can have fellowship is with the risen, ascended, glorified, triumphant Christ. Amen. Come on. See, He is our fellowship. He is the one we share life with. And, and, and what Jesus was saying to the disciples at the Last Supper was continue to live in me and I will continue to live in you. Who will continue to live in us? Not the human Jesus but the risen, ascended, glorified Christ. He lives in you. Now listen, He lives in you. He is one with the Father in heaven. The Spirit of God lives in you. And Jesus said the Spirit does nothing of His own on his, by Himself. You see, just as the Father always, uh, Jesus always depended upon the Father, so the Holy Spirit does nothing independently of the Father and the Son. So you have the Holy Spirit living in you to enable the life of the Father and the life of the Son to be reflected in your life every day. Now, you may be conscious of something of that life of God being revealed in your life on a good day. If you were prepared to be honest with yourself, you would probably say, well, there's something of God that gets reflected in my life, but not as much as God wants, or not as much as there should be. Perhaps, if you really love the Lord, you would say, there's not as much of him reflected in my life as I would like there to be. Is that all reasonable? So what can you do about it? Because there's no use just sort of sitting back and saying, well, thank God that something of his life is seen in me, but not much, or not enough. You see, what was the secret of Jesus being able to reflect the
the life of the Father perfectly. Even though he was the Son of God, he submitted himself and surrendered himself perfectly to the Father. So how much of the Father's life or of the life of Jesus ultimately comes to the same thing. How much of that divine life of God's life is reflected in your life is totally dependent upon how much you are surrendered to God. It's as simple as that. So if you say, I wish that more of God's life would be reflected in my life, and you do nothing about it, you're fooling yourself. Because if you really want more of God's life in your life, you will surrender yourself more wholeheartedly to him. And his grace <coughs> will then enable more of that life to be seen in your life. You see, God has given precisely the same life to every one of his children. Every one, of, and every one of us in this room that has been born again, has received the gift of the Holy Spirit, has been given exactly, identically the same life. We have the life of the risen, ascended, glorified Christ. Now, experientially, there may be a difference in how much of that life is reflected in our lives. And that's got nothing to do with a person's ministry. Uh, understand? No, no, no. Just because God has called me to a, a particular ministry doesn't mean that God has given me what other Christians don't have. Are you understanding? No, no, no. He's given us all the same life. We have different ministries, but we all have the same life, and we all share in the same purpose that God will transform us into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. That's a word for every believer. That we are all co-heirs with Christ. We all have the same Holy Spirit. Variety of workings, but the same Spirit. So, the capacity that each believer has for the way in which God can use that believer, be he male or female, is dependent upon how fully he is surrendered to Jesus. That's another way of saying how much he really loves Jesus. Okay. 
So if we are really serious about God's purpose, that we should be like him and live in fellowship with him and at one with him, then we're not living our lives for ourselves. We recognize that our lives belong to him. He paid the price with the blood of Jesus. And it's for me to keep surrendered to him day by day. It's not a, it's not a matter of saying, well, I gave my life to Jesus in 19-whenever. No, no, no. I need to give my life to Jesus every day. You need to give your life to Jesus every day. You need to stay in that attitude of humble submission, just like Jesus did. Every day, every day, Jesus kept under the authority of his Father. Every day, every day. seen me, you've seen the Father. Because he kept his submission to his Father every day. Now, there's another way of describing this. Having faith in him every day. Because, you see, faith, true faith, is living in submission to the Word of God, and therefore to the will of God. Any believers in the room? Amen. So it's wonderful. I mean, the, the purpose of God that he has accomplished for us in <coughs> Jesus, so much greater than just restoring us to that fellowship that he had with Adam. But we now live in the heavenly Savior, and he lives in us. So our prayer is, Lord, I want to live at one with you so that more of your life, of your love, of your power, of your mercy, of your wisdom, of your understanding, all those qualities that we talked about at the beginning of the Father, that they may all be seen in me. Now listen, and he wants you to have children. Huh? He, he wants other people to see his love in you so they are motivated to become his children also that they want to leave the darkness of the world and come into the light of God's kingdom so that they can be set free from the spirit of fear did, did, did you notice what that scripture says that, that we're, we're no longer under that that fear. The Spirit himself 
um, testify, oh, sorry, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you uh, a slave again to fear. You were a slave of fear before, but now you're a son of God. You're a child of faith. You're a child who submits willingly, listen, to the authority of his father, of his father, yes, but actually you submit yourself To let him love you in all the ways he wants to express that love. Knowing that the love of God is different from human love. It's not based upon human emotion that can change from one moment to another. God is always consistent. His love is always the same. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and so is the Father. So his love is always consistent. And what that that divine love, that agape love means, is it's love that seeks the highest good of those who are loved. Now, actually, it would be good if everybody, if every father's love was like that. The father sought the highest good of the children. But often the fathers are, you know, they're selfish and they have all kinds of selfish things that cause problems in their children. But the father's love, this agape love, that we, we read about in Scripture is love that is given. It's love that seeks the highest good of those. So, so you see, God's love for you means he seeks his highest good for you every day. He wants the highest good. That's why he protects you, he loves you, says he watches over you, he keeps you. All the wonderful promises of Scripture are all because of the outworking of that love. And John, again, in that first epistle of his, says, we can only love God because he's first loved us. So the greater the revelation we have of how great his love for us, the more we will love him. Now, there's just one other thing, an extraordinary thing about this love that God has for his children. It's absolutely extraordinary. He never demands obedience. He never asserts the rights he has over his children. If you think about it, he could do that. But if he did that, we couldn't have fellowship with him. We couldn't share in his nature of love. Can you see that? So Jesus says to the disciples, You will obey my commands if you love me. Just as I obey the Father's commands because I love him. In other words, he doesn't assert his rights. He loves, and he knows that if he loves, those who love him will respond to that love. He won't force them. 
He, he gives those commands, but he doesn't enforce them. He waits for the love that will put those commands into effect, into practice. That's extraordinary. I mean, if you think God has all the almighty power, he brought all creation into being. He could do with you and me exactly as he wanted. But he doesn't force us because he loves us. And if you love, you don't force. See, a loving father doesn't force his children to do anything. You teach them what is good for them. You discipline them for their own good. But you don't stand over them with a whip and beat them until they do what they're told. No, no, no. He loves them. And he waits for this response of love. So how much of the Father is seen in your life? Well, it depends how much you love him. The more you love him, the more his love will be revealed in you. It's very simple, really, isn't it? So how, how are you going to pray? I mean, what? Because you have to pray from your heart, don't you? Jesus, it's only the prayer of the heart that God answers. Not the, not the words, it's the heart. It looks upon the heart, doesn't it? So he sees what's in the heart when you pray. He doesn't answer the words, he answers the heart. Because he sees what you believe in the heart. Huh? Isn't that right? You don't sound very certain, isn't that right? Yes, that's right. He doesn't just listen to the words, he listens to the heart. So, uh, what's in your heart? Oh, Lord, thank you so much. It begins with thanksgiving, doesn't it? Thank you so much for this amazing love. This amazing love that you have for me. That although I was a sinner, you forgave me. You didn't, you didn't just restore me to fellowship with you like Adam, but you raised me to new life, and I'm seated with you in glory, and I live in you, and you live in me. And Lord, it's so wonderful because now I have you filling my life here on earth, and I will have fellowship with you for all eternity in heaven. And Lord, there are so many people around me that are going to hell. I want them to be delivered from darkness and brought into your glorious light. I want those who don't know your love to come to know your love. So you see that what happens in, in those that are filled with his love is they stop being selfish. And they live for the good of others. This is why Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my command. And my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. That, that the more you love God, the more you love others. So John says again in that first, if you have to read that first epistle of his, won't you? Uh, he, he says, you know, if you do not love the one who you do see, then you cannot love the one who you do not see. 
that if you love the father, you will love the child as well. No matter who the child is, you will love the child. Right? If you love the father, you will love the child. If you do not love the one who you do see, you cannot love the one who you do not see. He, he, he actually uses some pretty strong language because he says, you know, if you don't love, you hate. But he doesn't mean hate meaning venomous but towards people. But hatred is just an absence of love. If love is absent, to God, that's tantamount to hate. So, <clears throat> it's a different understanding of hatred, isn't it, from human understanding. But then God has a different understanding about all kinds of things. And what he wants is for us to have his understanding, because his understanding is greater than our understanding. So, have you got something from this this morning? Yes. This love, this such, I mean, what great love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called yeah. the children of God. And this is not what we will be. This is what we are. And we are now, we are now co-heirs with Christ. So let me just finish by reading this scripture again. For you did not receive a spirit that makes, because I'm going to just add a, the, the final part of the verse that I, I only quoted half of earlier on. For you did not receive the spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. That's okay so far, isn't it? The spirit himself testifies by our spirit that we are God's children. That's okay, yes. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. All right? Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. All good so far, yes? Mm -hmm. If! Oh. Ah, 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 ah. There's an if. It sounded too good to be true, didn't it? If, indeed, we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. You see, what does it mean to share in his sufferings? It means to live like Jesus, who wasn't concerned about himself. He's the son of God, but he didn't go around saying, I'm the son of God. I have the rights and the privileges of a son of God. I want you to recognize me as a son of God. I want you to bow before me as a son of God. He lived not for himself, but for others. To love them, to serve them. Why? Because that's the only way he could express love for his father. See, the same principles of the truth had to be true for Jesus as they are for us. Right? So, the only way that he could love the father was by loving the children. Yeah. 
That's what John says. If you love the Father, you will love the children also. Hmm? So if Jesus hadn't loved the children, he wouldn't have loved the Father. But because he loved the Father, he loved the children. So isn't it good that we all come together as the body of Christ every Sunday so we can love one another, share fellowship with one another, encourage one another, build one another up. Yes, be taught the word and be encouraged in faith by the word of God. But isn't it good that for the rest of the week we can share that love with other people, whoever they are, wherever they are? It's amazing how many seeds of love you can sow by the words you speak and the attitudes you have and the way you serve, the way you bless, the way you give. It's a way of life. Amen? Let's all stand, shall we? Praise God. Sometimes it's a sacrificial way of life because we share in the sufferings in order to share in his glory. But Jesus said that. If anyone would come after me, he's got to deny himself. We don't live for what we want for ourselves. We live for what pleases the Father. See? We live to love. We live to love. We live to bless. We live to serve. Amen? So let's just close our eyes and, and thank God. Come on, thank Him that He is your Father. When you were born as a child, you weren't born as a child of God. No, no, we're all the people of God, but not the children of God. To be a child of God is a very special privilege for those he has adopted. Those in whom he lives by the power of his spirit. So can you thank him that he chose you? That he adopted you? He made you his child? Hallelujah. Out of his wonderful love for you, he has revealed that love to you. He has shown you how greatly he loves you by sending his son to die for you. That's his love. That's how much he loves you. If you ever want to know how much God the Father loves you, just remember, well, he sent his son to die for me. I mean, what greater love could there be than that? There just couldn't be any greater love. So thank you, Jesus, that you died for me. You gave your life for me. You gave your life in love for me in order that I might be restored to fellowship with the Father, but also to have fellowship with you in the glory of heaven. Hallelujah. And to know that as there's a man in heaven, I also will be in heaven one day praising you for all eternity, rejoicing in the wonderful inheritance that you've given me through Jesus Christ. I praise you, Lord. I bless you. I thank you. Now, Lord, I can't speak for anybody else in this room. I can only speak for myself. But what I say to you in response to this message this morning is this, Father. I want more of your love in my life. So I choose at this moment, I don't mind doing it publicly, I choose at this moment to surrender myself more wholeheartedly than I am surrendered now to you and to your love. And Lord, 
I always seek to surrender myself as fully as I know how, but you have a good way of showing me things that are not truly, completely surrendered to you. And, and I invite you to do that, Lord. I want you to show me any way in which I am not totally surrendered to you. And I want to come into that place that more of your life, more of your love, more of your power will then be demonstrated in my life. And I give you glory, I give you honor and praise. And I pray for all my brothers and sisters here, Lord, because I know the same principle is true for them, that the measure they give will be the measure they get back. But as they give themselves to you more wholeheartedly, what they will get back is good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That, Lord, your life and your love and your power will just overrun. They'll run over out of our lives. You will anoint our cup with oil and our cup will overflow. Hallelujah. You anoint us with oil and our cup will overflow. We will just overflow with your life. We'll overflow with your love. We'll overflow with your goodness, with your mercy, with your grace. Oh, we praise you, Lord, that you've called us to be a people of the overflowing life. That we just contain so much. We receive so much of you. We cannot keep it to ourselves. It just pours out of us, just overflows out of us, touches the lives of others, draws them into your love. Hallelujah. And Lord, I, I pray for any of us here who are fathers that we will, by your grace, reflect your fatherhood in the way that we love our children. And I pray for the mothers that are here that, Lord, the mothers will also reflect your fatherhood in the way in which they care for their children. Hallelujah. God is not a mother, he's a father. So don't listen to some of this modern theology that is just totally unbiblical. He is like a mother sometimes, it says, that, that uh, in the way that he cares for us. But he is your father. He is your father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, we praise you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We praise, we praise, we praise. And Lord, we, we, we pray for all those people living here in this, in this town of Worthing. Oh, Father, how few of them really know you as Father. Probably, Lord, even a lot of them that go to church today don't really know you as their Father. But we pray, Lord, that more and more and more people will come to know your love, to understand your love, and to live in the goodness of your love, which desires the highest good for all those who are, the, who are your children, who are the objects of your love. And we praise you, we bless you. Come on, let's just thank the Lord. Pray in the Spirit. It's such a simple message, my friends. But you know, when you, when you grow in the things of the Spirit, they don't become more complicated, they become simpler. 
The more spiritual you are, the more simple the whole understanding of the gospel is. It's just absolutely, utterly simple. Hallelujah. So, Father, we want to thank you and praise you because by the power of your Spirit, you have poured your love, your Father love, into our hearts that we may love you as you have loved us. Thank you that it's always been your desire that your people would love you with all their hearts and all their minds and all their souls and all their strength. And that they would love one another as you have loved them. So may these commands be outworked, not because you force us or make us or stand upon your rights or anything like that, but because you simply want to bring us to the place of yes. loving obedience, yes, 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 of obeying you out of love for you. And we bless you yes. in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. And all God's people says, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com. 